Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Can we give a round of applause to our praise team? Hello, everyone. It is always wonderful to be with you here at Tip City. Good morning to everybody who may be listening online. It is my pleasure to be here. To my friends in the room, I just want to say it's good to see you again. I have been at Fort McKinley, and we're building. We're building. I want you to know that, church. We're building. Um, Yes, yes. Give God a praise for that. But it's always a pleasure to be here with you. So hello to you all, whether you are in the room or online. My name is Pastor Carl, and I oversee. That's my wife. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, honey. My name is Pastor Carl, and uh, I oversee the Fort McKinley campus of Ginghamsburg Church. And as I've already said, it is a pleasure and an honor to be with you here today. We're in the middle of a sermon series that we're calling Hard Conversations Freely Disagree. So shout amen if you have had a hard conversation. Amen. Amen. Have we had some this week? Mm. So today we're joining Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, exploring how we might overcome the enemy-making machine. Now, what do I mean by the enemy-making machine? I'm talking about the discord that we see played out every day in big ways and in small ways. And we're using that language from a book written by David Fitch entitled, The Church of Us Versus Them. That's where that language comes from. But before we begin, let us pray. Please pray with me. Lord, without you, I am nothing. So save me. Without you, I know nothing. So teach me. Without you, I can do nothing. So help me. Save me, teach me, and help me, dear God. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength, you are our rock, and you are our redeemer. All of God's children said, amen, amen. So church, you may have noticed in the last decade, Christianity has by default redefined itself into the church of us versus them. We are known for what we are against rather than what we are for. Not only does this diminish the witness of Christ, but the hate and the negativity makes it easy to dismiss Christianity altogether. That should let us know, friends, that the enemy-making machine is live and well. Now, we cannot change it all, but we can change our own complicity. So let's dive into this message with open and humble hearts to hear what God might have to say today as the truth that we know will set us free. Sometimes we need to tell ourselves the truth about ourselves 
confessing the ways we other one another. And today, my hope is that we change the measuring stick, that we take out the plank and terminate the enemy-making machine for good. So I invite you to open your Bibles or your Bible apps to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. And it reads, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when, the time, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to, bit, to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. That's some tough scripture. Now, have you ever wondered when Jesus says, do not judge, what does he really mean? I don't believe he's saying not to make moral judgments, which is discerning what is right or wrong according to God's word. In other places, the Bible actually requires us to make moral judgments. In verse 6, he tells us not to cast our pearls before pigs. And then again in verses 15 through 20, when he tells us to watch out for false prophets. We couldn't obey either of these commands unless we could make some sort of moral judgment regarding right and wrong. The problem is, if you can't discern something to be wrong, then you can't discern it to be right either. We all make decisions every day concerning what is right and wrong. So what does Jesus actually forbid here? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jesus forbids a critical, judgmental spirit. I'm going to say that again. Jesus forbids a critical, judgmental spirit. He's not talking about evaluating behavior, but rather looking down on people, having a fault-finding spirit or a critical heart. Jesus commands against blaming others for offenses, the habit of passing rash or hasty judgments that magnify the errors of our neighbors. The truth is we need to see ourselves and others in the light of grace. God invites us to a place of grace so that we can have grace for others. We must discern right from wrong. We must live by God's commandments. We must speak the truth, but we must also lose that critical judgmental spirit that lifts us up and puts others down. It is, in fact, that judgmental spirit that feeds the enemy-making machine, causing it to thrive in our homes, causing it to thrive in our communities, and causing it to thrive around the globe. Now, I can recall a time in 2003 when I worked for the University of Dayton in campus ministry and an office called Diverse Student Populations. One of my jobs was to be the campus minister for Protestant students on a Catholic campus. Does that make sense? It was an interesting position to have. I got in trouble every week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
The other was doing programming for students. The other was doing programming for students of color. I literally worked for two different offices, and sometimes I had to be in two different places at the same time. Parking was always an issue on campus, and there were times, due to urgent meetings, I had to park rather creatively. It looked just like it sounds, yeah. So there was a certain parking guard who had me on his radar, and he would literally follow me around campus and issue tickets to me for how I parked at times. Now, he was an older white guy, and whenever he would see me in the cafeteria, he would give me the dirtiest look in the world. I could tell that his demeanor went beyond where I parked. I could even feel some sort of racial undertones as well. Well, it all culminated when I was rushing an African-American student to the counseling center because she was having suicidal ideations. Her mom called me that morning asking not only could I secure an appointment for her daughter, but could I also escort the family to the counseling center? So, because it was an emergency, I parked in the emergency parking zone. Doesn't that make sense? And sure enough, here comes my guy. But this time, he was cussing and fussing at me in front of this young girl and her family. So I apologized to her mom. I got them both into the center. And once I got them secured, I turned back to outside to handle my business. You understand what I mean by that? To say that I was angry would be a gross understatement. Here I am trying to get this young woman connected to services that can save her life, and my guy is worried about a parking space with the nerve to insult me in front of this family. Now, maybe he could see my facial expression. Maybe he could see my posture and my pace with which I walked towards him. But he got in his little car and hurriedly drove away. <laughs> Can you, you know what I look like, right? I was coming. I was coming. Thank God I didn't get to him, because Lord knows what I would have said. Any, rather than what I did, Lord knows what I would have said. This, inc this incident was the final straw for me, and it sparked a much-needed co conference with his superiors as well as my own. So during our meeting, my guy went straight to judging me as being a defiant student who thought he didn't have to follow the rules rather than a professional administrator trying to do his job in two different areas of the university. Our meeting was hostile until I told him that I wasn't a student, that I was a campus minister, that I was the coordinator of programming for students of color, and that I was the chaplain on the football team. Then I listened as he explained to me why he was so vigilant on his job, how on his watch in the past, People had gotten hurt right where he was patrolling, and he felt responsible for it. Until this conversation, we saw each other as enemies. But after talking it out, he understood my responsibilities and actions, and I understood his. Now hear me on this, friends. Hear me on this. If you can read a person's story, if you can hear your heart, there is not a person that you cannot love. Amen. Had this hard conversation not, hap not happened over my parking faux pas, we may still be enemies today, 
But after sharing, we came to a place of grace, and I was issued a parking pass for the staff parking lot and for the faculty parking lot. Amen? Compromise, baby. I believe this was Jesus' vision as he walked us through the next few verses, giving us a, a few strong pointers. The first point is simple. You are not the judge. Say that with me. You are not the judge. Verse 1 reads, do not judge or you too will be judged. So guess what? If you can be judged, then that means you're not the judge. Amen? A little hint here. If you're in a courtroom and someone else is sitting at the bench holding the gavel and you're on the stand, don't fool yourself. You're not the judge. God is our judge. And there's a reason why God is our judge and we're not. We simply are not qualified. We aren't. We don't know the other person's history. We don't know the other person's background. We don't know the extenuating circumstances. We don't know how far they've come. And we don't know the other person's motives. We may be able to see their actions, but we can't see their heart. And when we set ourselves up as judge, we make ourselves to be, to be out above other people, and there are two problems with that. First of all, you are not above other people. And secondly, you're failing to love your neighbor as yourself, which winds up feeding the machine that makes enemies. Now, I've been there. When I look back at the history of my relationship with my wife, who is my biggest cheerleader, I can recall a time when I was judging her for her education. When we first started dating, she only had a high school diploma. And I've been raised to value education, while, especially while considering my life partner. I knew that would be an important factor. Now, to be honest, I judged her for her lack of education at the time until I got to know her story. I learned that Shannon had to interrupt her education when her mom got sick, and I get that. It doesn't mean she was lazy or lax, it just means her journey took a little detour. Now today, I can say that not only did she go on to get her bachelor's degree, but she started her master's program two days after her bachelor's graduation. Then in two years after that, she had her master's degree, and currently she's working on her PhD. She has more education than I do, and I had the nerve to judge her on that. I could have lost the love of my life if I judged her in that way. And what a loss that would have been because there's so much more to this incredible woman named Shannon Penn beyond her education. I could have lost it by judging her. Shannon, I want you to know I love you. I need you. You are the bomb. And can we have pork chops tonight? Jesus' second point was that judging isn't our job, and it's found in verse 2. It says, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Are we harsh? Are we overbearing to others? If so, God will judge us harshly. Are we loving? 
and merciful towards others? Do we have a generous spirit overlooking the faults of others? Then God will show us mercy. God will treat you as you have treated others. I'm not making that up. Jesus already taught that principle right at the beginning in the Beatitudes when he said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And then again in the Lord's Prayer when he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see, this says a lot about the heart of God, urging us to be merciful to others and showing grace rather than having a harsh or a critical spirit. Not only does criticism create enemies in our lives, but God will judge us using the same criteria as we do with others. Now, that can be amazingly good news or very bad news, but let's give that some thought this week. Jesus also cautions us to be self-aware, to know our own frailties, to begin with self-awareness. Verses three through five reads, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So, because I want us to get this. I want us to get this. This is a speck. Ryan, this is the speck in your eye. And here I come judging you, but look how I come. Does this look like it makes any sense, Ryan? No. Well, do you see how we look when we do this every day? How can you see this when you got all this in your, in your own eye? How can you help your brother or your sister? Until, you cannot until you become self-aware and start to realize where your shortcomings are. How can we judge people for how they spend their money? How can we judge people for how they raise their kids? How can we judge people and, and stereotype people because of where they're from, what they look like, what color their skin is when we're walking around like this? How does that work? Do you guys get that? Do you guys get that? That's the enemy-making machine at work right here. I can't even see you. This illustration cuts right to the point for me. The emphasis is on two little words, your own. Three times in three verses, Jesus speaks about your own eye, knowing we'd be really good at critiquing others, but not so good at critiquing ourselves. We're good judges of the mistakes of others, but good defense lawyers for our own shortcomings. Hmm? If we drill down a bit, perhaps it's that we're actually critical of ourselves and we take that shame and we try to put it on others. Jesus asks, are you just as quick to name the fault in yourself? The reality is deep down, you know your own shortcomings better than anyone else. And let's be reminded that there's forgiveness for those shortcomings, forgiveness for those mistakes, forgiveness for those wrong behaviors. We, don't have, we aren't left to deal with all of those ourselves. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The plank in verse five actually refers to 
a large piece of wood, much larger than this. It's the same word that was used to describe the main beam in a house or a battering ram. The battering ram is a very telling image because the person who judges others often uses the truth as a battering ram rather than as a means to gently and gracefully lead someone to Christ. And Jesus names our sins as the plank and our brother or sister's sins as a speck because we know our sins so much better than whatever we can see or can't see in others. And our own sins are glaring. They are completely and totally in the way. Your own painful history, your own hurtful words, your own impulsive actions and careless thoughts. And ignoring your own shortcomings will only feed the enemy-making machine. It's when we find the humility to be truly conscious of our own wrongs that we will grow to be far more generous and loving towards others. Jesus here is inviting us to a place of grace, and we need to receive it in order to find grace for others. While still in Youngstown as a teenager, I recall being on a search to find my purpose and my true identity. Now, my neighborhood assigned me the identity of being a tough guy or a strong arm, and I acted that out for some years. But when I came to my senses and humbly asked God about my true identity, God said I was a protector. That made a lot of sense to me, because that's, that's how I feel. That's what I do. That's who I am. Anybody who's close with me knows that about me. I'm not a tough guy. I, I can be tough. There's still some in there. <laughs> but I'm a protector. That means something very different than being a strong arm. A strong arm goes looking for it. A protector stands in front of his people to stop it from happening. Very different for me. Very different for me. But through all the mistakes I made back then, I, I became aware of my own brokenness. I realized that I was broken. And then I also realized that others are struggling with finding their identity as well. It was and still can be a tough journey, but it has made me more generous and loving towards my brothers and sisters who may be struggling with their own brokenness. Amen? The last challenge from Jesus today is to come alongside others as the true gesture of love. Let us look at verse 5. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, don't ignore the speck that is in your brother's eye. It may need to be removed, but we do it from the position of grace. We do it from the position of love. We do it from the position of restoration. Activist and preacher Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. put it this way, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. I believe the story of Ms. Atwater and Mr. Ellis that we heard a few moments ago is an amazing picture of allowing light to drive out darkness and love to drive out hate. Through their work together, attempting to integrate the Durham, North Carolina school system in the early 1970s, they came to a place where they no longer saw each other as enemies. They saw each other as friends. 
They told their story together for years afterwards. And when Mr. Ellis passed away in 2005, guess who delivered his eulogy? Miss Atwater. An African-American woman delivering the eulogy for a former leader in the KKK. You can't tell me these peacemaking practices do not work. Light drives out darkness and love drives out hate. So friends, let's be lights. Let's be restorers of one another's faith rather than critics of their faults. Make allies for the kingdom of God rather than feed the enemy-making machine that has caused so much pain in our world. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It is God's job to judge. And it is our job to actively love with grace. Well, pastor, what about those who refuse to be helped? What about those who don't want to hear about God's ability to restore? Jesus warned us that not everyone will be open. He said in verse 6, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Not everyone will take it kindly when you try to help them find their way back to Jesus. We can't force the gospel of grace on people even though we want them to know what we've experienced through Christ Jesus. You want people to feel that freedom and liberation that happens when you say yes to God. We can all remember what our lives were like when we struggled without God. We couldn't track down our own identity. We had no peace. We lived lives of fear. We lived lives of despair and doubt. But when we said yes to Jesus, all that stuff fell off of us. So it can be frustrating sometimes when somebody is not receiving what you're saying because you know what Jesus did for you and you want everybody to feel that. But there comes a time, there comes a time that we have to wait sometimes. Not everyone will take it kindly when you try to help them find their way back to Jesus. We can't force the gospel of grace on people even though we want them to know. But you can offer, you can only offer the gospel to people. You cannot force it. Hard conversations will happen. But the bottom line is Jesus is saying, let go of your critical spirit. At some point, you just may have to freely disagree, amen? You can always pray for folks. You can continue to be a friend. But please, church, in the name of Jesus, make it your business to extend the same grace that God has extended to you. So friends, how are we doing in this area of judging others? How is your spirit towards other people and their faults? Your spouse, your coworkers, your neighbor across the street, your mother-in-law, which by the way, my mother-in-law is awesome, so don't take that the wrong way, Miss Mary, if you're listening. It is so easy to look at people and use a stereotype to judge them, but God is calling us deeper, calling us deeper. When I consider my experience with that parking guard on campus, I realize that we both had planks in our eyes. His was the plank of racial stereotypes, 
and mine was the plank of anger and racial fatigue. But once we heard each other's story, though, we came to a place of understanding and grace allowed us to make a compromise. To this day, when I see him, we wave to each other with smiles on our faces. And let me tell you, my friends, that is a gift because it did not have to be that way. Are we loving or are we judging? Is your mind set one of restoration or are you part of the enemy-making machine that pushes people away from God? My friends, let us put aside that critical spirit. Let us get in touch with our own brokenness. Let us speak the truth and love and let's have no part of feeding the enemy-making machine. Somebody say amen. amen. Let us pray. Lord, create in us not only a clean heart, but a heart that does not judge, not others or ourselves. Allow us to guard our hearts and to remember you have forgiven us already when we fall short. You've also forgiven others and called us to do so as well. Teach us to be more like you, Lord, and help us to hold on to the humility that we know is right. Most of all, Lord, help us to go deeper and to see others as you do while putting aside that cr critical spirit. Help us to see our own shortcomings and our own brokenness and extend grace and love to all we encounter as we speak the truth in love. To that I say amen and God bless you. Before I go, church, I want you to remember this. God loves you. I love you. And there is not one single thing you can do about it. God bless you and let us go be the church. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.